Hello, Dennis. Hello from Kansas, Jesse. How's it going? So far, so good. Guess what? What? I had lunch with the monks here on campus at Benedictine College from St. Benedict Abbey, and one of the brothers asked me over and wanted to talk liturgy, and he made a tray full of pie crust dessert. Oh, that's fantastic. For us. Yes, delicious. So thank you. For when am I going to get my portion? <laughs> when you come to Kansas. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll have to do that. Yes. Uh, hey, do we have Patreon supporters? To, I was to just going to say, we, we do. We do have new Patreon supporters. And some of them didn't want to tell us their last name. I yeah, Ryan they, M. Ryan M. is embarrassed. If that is your last name. <laughs> and, Who else? And Jennifer Kim. Jennifer Kim. Excellent. Thanks, Jennifer. And if you want to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. Dennis, what are we talking about today with Chris? Well, you know, when Chris talks, we don't really listen, so we don't really remember. I think it has something to do with the cosmic dimension of liturgy, creation, bees. Um, starts with Laudato Si from Pope Francis and how the things of the earth get involved in the liturgy. I think that's about right. So without okay. further ado, episode one of season four of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. All right, we are back. Season four of The Liturgy Guys. Season four! Nobody ever thought we'd get this far. I did. Yeah. I did. That, I didn't. That makes one of us. Okay. <laughs> but we are back, season four. But we have some changes here. Obviously, we talked a little bit about this in the Coffee Talk episode. Um, but I want to just kind of reintroduce the idea that, Dennis, you have moved on from the Liturgical Institute, and you're now at Benedictine as the, uh, what, what is your exact title there? Well, first of all, it's not Benedictine College. It's Benedictine okay. College. Well, there you it's go. Benedictine is a liqueur. Benedictine College Ooh, nice. is a college in northeast Kansas, which has this amazing new lease on life over the last few decades with this very strong Catholic identity and increasing number of students and lots of energy. Great president, a lot of good things going on. So they wooed me away from 19 years at the Liturgical Institute to move to rural Kansas. And boy, is that a culture shock, I'll tell you. But it's going fairly well so far. Good, good. And uh, I just wanted to just, in case everybody out there doesn't know, uh, we are doing everything totally different in terms of our recording style. So this is new for us, but we're all in different places in the country right now recording online. So, But you're uh, both in my heart. You're close to me. Oh, obviously. Yeah. We used to just sit around Jesse's one uh, iPhone and talk it in the microphone. <laughs> yeah, and we'd have to smell Jesse. Now it's we have our own aromas to enjoy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. But I, also, we don't get to look at Chris's lovely beard, though. So that's a Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I'll try to keep motivated anyway. Yeah, it's going to be tough. But uh, but he also has that, that beard balm that smells like uh, the Sacrament of Confirmation. So mm-hmm. we're going to miss that, too. Dang it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, we have uh, a new partnership between the Liturgical Institute and Adoramus Bulletin, of which yes. you are the director, executive director. And I'm the editor and publisher. Editor and publisher. And ex- executive director and president. That's a lot. So yeah. it's just a one-man operation. <laughs> 
just Chris has a printing press in his basement, and he just releases. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is a, an official thing, and a lot of our Liturgical Institute alumni actually write for Adoramus Bulletin, and obviously you're an alumni as well. So it's fitting that we kind of enter this new partnership with you in that in that context. But could you tell us a little bit about what Adoramus is? Yes, I can. But you were right, Jesse. I'll bet that uh, maybe 70 or 80% of the authors are LI alums. And uh, for that reason, it's very consistent with what you would find at the Liturgical Institute. But I describe uh, Adoramus, which has been around and it's, it's about to begin its 25th year, is uh, in its current uh, existence, really tries to help priests and ministers celebrate the liturgy as faithfully and authentically as possible. And on the other hand, helps uh, the faithful to understand it so that uh, we can pray the liturgy as fruitfully as possible unto the sanctity of all and the glory of God. That's basically it. Well, you stole the liturgy guy's uh, mission statement. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, like I said, we've been around 25 years. So. Oh, okay. I am the editor and executive director <laughs> of the liturgy guy's <laughs> podcast. So, yeah, what do you do around here, Jesse? <laughs> Nothing. I don't. I'm. Oh, I'm just a guy. By by the way, you've never asked me to write anything for Adoramus, Chris. So I well, just when when I was listening to uh, I think it was a coffee talk with the two of you, which I usually don't do. I think you said you were never going to be a tenured person because you weren't interested in writing anything. Uh, that's very true, and that was just a memory test for you. So you passed. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you have a very uh, interesting topic for us today. Why don't you, uh, why don't you lead us off? Well, uh, whether uh, Dennis knew this or not, he, he really oh, gave I did. it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> okay. Gave it greatly, and we talked about uh, uh, we don't have to smell each other. But this, <laughs> so this, this <clears throat> Jesse, I, I, I thought I'd start by asking you, which, I don't know, maybe it's a personal question, but have you, Jesse, ever smelled a sheep? Um, I think I did when I was on your farm, right? Is that right? Yeah, probably. No, I, I've, I've smelled a sheep. Not like up close and personal, but yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But, so, okay. So you've smelled a sheep from a distance, which you can actually smell sheep from a distance. They're kind of smelly things. Now, Dennis, I know, has uh, smelled a sheep because yep. he's been on the farm many times and uh, held the little lambs in the spring and whatnot. Uh, but uh, all right. So who, who's, whose line is this? Whose line is it who anyway? We, yeah, who, who, who Pope Francis. Re- yes, Pope Francis. He wants Francis. the priests to smell like their sheep. He wants priests, he wants pastors, shepherds to smell uh, like, like their, their flock. Sheep. Yeah, like their flock. So I guess this is, I want to know, I mean, does it matter if you've ever smelled a sheep or not to like, praying the liturgy? Like literally smell the sheep? Yeah, why not? Um, I think we've got some kind of metaphorical thing going on here. Whether, no. I guess it helps to know the, what the metaphor means, if you know what a sheep smells like, but I don't know that it's critically necessary. <laughs> well, that's, let, let's kind of pick that apart a little bit, right? Because there's, there's, there's sheep all over in the, uh, in the scriptures, right? So Abel offers a sheep, and Isaac is uh, saved from sacrificial death by a sheep, an adult sheep, a ram. Uh, the chosen people, whom God calls uh, his firstborn son, they are all ransomed by sheep. Christ is called the Lamb of God by John the Baptist. And the Mass is called the wedding feast of the... 
lamb. lamb. Of the lamb. All right. So, again, that's the what's kind of behind this question is, you know, doesn't matter if you've ever smelled a sheep or seen a sheep, uh, given the fact that sheep and lambs and rams are everywhere in uh, the liturgy. I think it would help just like desert and garden helps you understand the biblical images when you go to the Holy Land and you see the desert and then you see the Sea of Galilee and water and how much it makes a difference to the, cult, to the cultivation of the landscape. So I think it would help you understand what Christ is getting at. I would say yes on that one, yeah, Alec. Yeah. Yes, Alec. What do you think, Jesse? What is sheep? Oh, I thought we were doing Jeopardy <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh, that'd be Alex. Yeah. I would say that it couldn't hurt to know the context of the metaphor, um, but I would say that most people would understand that that smell is just a general farm scent, animal scent, and might get what what's being said. Hey, now there would be a uh, Catholic beer balm. Uh, farm scent? scent? Yeah, sheep oh, scent. Oh, <laughs> I like it. Uh, no, well, this has been uh, uh, in my mind lately because September 1st, you know what September 1st was that has just passed? Oh, man. Was it some equinox? Oh, Passion of John the Baptist? No, that was a little bit before. Oh, I don't it's know. Called the, uh, it's called the World Day of Care uh, for Creation. Oh, that did was you know my that? third guess. That was your next guess. Sorry, I cut you off too soon. Where did the World Day of Care for Creation come from? Sounds like something John Paul started, I think. Didn't it? Hasn't been around a while? Not that long. Oh, or did but Pope, Francis your guess is, Pope Francis did. So it was inspired by, I don't think he actually mentioned it, but it was inspired by his first encyclical. They say his first encyclical was, uh, what's that one? Written by two hands, one part four by hands. Pope. Four hands. Part by uh, Pope Benedict and the other by. Um, it was written four Pope hands Francis. by hands. <laughs> so, but the first one written solely by Pope Francis was called Laudato Si. Oh, yes. yeah. And so that's uh, essentially on our care for creation. And so this September 1st day, the World Day of Care for Creation was inspired by this encyclical Laudato Si. So this 2015 by Pope Francis. Uh, where's Laudato? What's, you know what the, the expression Laudato Si comes from? Uh, well, Laudare means to praise, right? Mm-hmm. And C is yes, right? Uh, I you? think in Spanish, so it's it's uh, Italian. <laughs> oh, yeah, Italian. Yeah, yeah, it means you. It means you. Oh, we praise. I praise you. You Let's you see. are praised, or praise uh, be to that's you. That's what I said. Did I get it right? Did you I win? Did. You did. Where's that bell? Do we have a bell here? Oh, oh I, my bell's in a box somewhere. Ding ding ding. So Laudato Si is the Italian for what's called the Canticle of Praise. It was written by... St. Francis. St. Francis of Assisi. That business about... A you-you, as it's translated. Yeah, or a yes-yes. Depending on the language. So it's... In French, it would be if, actually. It could be an if-if. Anyway, you're saying something profound, Chris. Keep going. Yeah. So this Laudato Si is that Canticle of the Sun. So praise be to you, O God, for brother sun and sister moon, and praise be to you for the wind and the air and the moon and all of these other things. So through whom God is praised. But you know, so I don't know what you first think when you hear World Day of Prayer for Creation. It makes me a little uh, itchy at first. Uh-huh. 
But that's mm-hmm. my problem, right? When you actually stop and think about it, you're like, okay, yeah, God did give us creation to support us, to nourish us, to reveal himself to us in the order of things. And we're supposed to be in right relationship with creation. Ever since the fall, we've been out of relationship, proper relationship with it. And at the end times, we're going to be in right relationship with nature again and God and each other. And so it seems like part of the movement toward the eschaton of the end times to be, to be kind to Mother Earth. Yeah. Hey, I am with you all the way. I mean, when I hear that, I think a little bit kind of uh, Greenpeace, hippie sort of thing, but it's not. And when you said, was this written by uh, John Paul II, it absolutely could have been. And some of these lines by uh, uh, Pope Benedict, you know, about the care for creation. I mean, these are like green popes. But even when you go back to this um, uh, uh, Laudato Si, as it's translated by uh, uh, into English, uh, you know, it, it, it's not about some like worshiping creation, like where we worship the sun and we worship the moon and we worship, you know, uh, things like water and fire and Mother Earth and stuff like that. Laudato Si is always praise be to you, God, through the brightness of the sun, through the moon, through the earth. So it's not about worshiping these things of the earth, but it's worshiping God through these things. Of well, the it's like Sunday morning, week one. Psalms, right? Ice and snow, bless the Lord. Sun and moon, bless the Lord. Right? All these things in creation do what God ordained them to do, right? To shine in the daytime and shine at night and move in their orbits. And, you know, plants grow and fish. And I was just talking to a friend of mine, Jared Roddinghouse, and his lovely new bride. They live here in the Kansas City area. And they just got some bees in their backyard. And they were talking about how amazing bees are. And there were a little swarm of them outside their hive. And they were just kind of going around in a little cloud in front of the hive and then they looked it up and they found out that the new bees who had grown out of their little pupae have to go outside the hive and then they map where they are like they fly around and basically do like these contour maps of where they are and then they fly away because they have to do that before they can get back so this little bee can keep in its little bee mind this understanding of where they are the geography how they come back it's just an amazing thing to think that god shared that capacity of his intelligence with with bees well see and this is where i want this podcast to go is that if you do find uh, the world day of uh, prayer for the care of creation or whatever it's called or a uh, brother brother moon and mother earth and things like that i want to put that in its right context which is precisely what we're doing is that it matters if you are familiar with a sheep or with a garden or with a bee or uh, all of these other things because they are an essential element of liturgical worship. Now, I was wondering how you were going to get it around to liturgies. <laughs> Me too. Let's well, do that. You know, let, let's even go back to the bee. Are there bees in liturgy? Yes. Oh, the beeswax candles. That's right. So, right. Uh, it, and the bees at the Easter Vigil, right? Oh, and oh, the bees' knees. Exalted. No, no, that's something else, Justin. But yeah, and the Exalted is the greatest example. So you've got this uh, uh, Paschal candle, which must be, it can never be artificial. It has to be made from wax. And then when you get into the Exalted itself, you know, it talks about uh, being made by this precious uh, wax. Uh, I think it says drawn from the mother bee or something like that. But it talks about the bees contributing to the worship of God. Uh, it's like uh, in that Paschal candle, the bees are doing what they were born to do. Worship God through the production of uh, wax uh, that go to make this uh, torch that's so so precious. So and you've given some of the reasons right there, Dennis. I mean, the bees, um, I, I'd never heard this about the mapping. But I mean, what, what are we doing at the Paschal Vigil that has to do with mapping? 
We're mapping out the journey of Exodus. <laughs> yeah, we're actually not just mapping it out. We're following the map. We're taking the journey of the Exodus from earth to heaven. So aren't the bees kind of a suitable example about how to get back to uh, the safety of the hive, so to speak. Right. And the bees are also selfless. I mean, they don't, they're, none of them can live on their own. They have to live in community. They work, work, work. They serve their queen. It's always for the good of the hive. And so you have this kind of mystical body notion there almost that all the members are sort of under the queenship or the headship of either, you could say Mary or Christ. And all, when they work together, they produce this beautiful honey and wax and light, you know, that comes from wax. And so it's a good analogy for how the world ought to work. Yeah, you we're really we're really combing through this metaphor here. So not everything has changed in uh, season four of the liturgy, guys. <laughs> That's good. Why but, would uh, that be the thing that changed? Saint <laughs> Augustine, actually, I, this is in the Office of Readings that I noticed for the first time this year. Saint Augustine, Dennis, uh, like you're saying, even calls the newly baptized. A new colony of bees. Yeah, right. So as soon as you come out of that font, he says in his uh, catechesis to that, you're like a new colony of bees. Right. Work, 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 and make the world better. Make it full of sweetness, right? So the honey is this, you know, before that time they had sugar, right? You could just get your sugar out of a bag every day. I mean, where would you get sweetness? Honey. And it takes a long time to make honey. I'm on one of these Facebook kind of hippie commune Facebook memes, and <laughs> there's something that comes up every now and again, and it says, your eight-ounce bottle of honey took, you know, 100,000 bees flying, you know, 200,000 miles to produce that honey, like that many bees going to that many flowers at that much distance. I, I got the numbers totally wrong, but it's an unbelievable amount of work it takes to make honey, and you wouldn't use it just any old time. It would be on festival occasions, so to have a land flowing with milk, which requires, you know, cows and all that it requires, and honey is a really big deal deal in the ancient world we're so used to sweetness it's like oh yeah honey and it never expires either and it's antibacterial they've discovered you can put it on wounds there's all kinds of things that honey does so if we're out there making the world sweet orderly or we speak like there's a phrase for good preachers they're called honey mouthed preachers like the words drip off their tongues like honey for the listener um that's what christians are supposed to do all right go back to that um canticle from Daniel you're mentioning before mm-hmm. what are some of the things that are mentioned in there well ice snow dolphins and all water creatures that's one of my favorite ones Sun and I like the dew one yeah by being dewy you always say how does it how does dew praise the lord by being by dewy doing what dewy dew does doing what dew do, do. <laughs> and all dolphins and sea creatures bless the lord I mean it goes right. through everything okay well let's let's uh, uh so I'm from Nebraska. We don't have dolphins in Nebraska. Maybe you did off the off of Long Island, Dennis. Mm, yeah, whales. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So how does a dolphin or a whale bless the Lord? By swimming around and making more dolphins and diving and eating plankton and then coming up and blowing air out of its blowhole and just being, being whaley. <laughs> Jesse, can, can you make a good dolphin noise for us? I That like is a flipper? noise I cannot make, but... Uh, I can't do it either. It was more like a sheep. Everything I try to do comes out like a sheep. Yeah. Must be my conformity to Christ. He once did a Pope Francis impression. It just sounded like a sheep. <laughs> and did it smell like a sheep? Yes, of course. <laughs> all right. So all of those things in that litany of the uh, of the Canticle of Daniel with dolphins and water creatures and ice and snow and snow blesses the God, blesses God according to its name. All of those things bless God, worship God according to their own natures, either by being snowy or icy or 
Dolphin or night and day, and, and then it gets to people at the end, right? Servants of the Lord, priests of the Lord, spirits and souls of the just, holy men. So it start, it's like a little recreation of, um, a re, what do you say, recapitulation of creation, starting mm. with water and moon and heaven and then wind and rain, and then finally it gets to people at the end. Well, there's that uh, Father Martis, uh, now Father Eusebius, uh, would always quote this line from Virgil Michael. Do you, do you know the one I'm thinking of? Without intelligence, yes. there is no such thing as worship. That's right. Because yes. uh, we worship God according to our own natures, which are rational natures. So if you, uh, if we try to worship God like a dolphin or a sea creature or nighttime or frost or something like that, it would be out of keeping with our nature. Ours is a rational one. So Virgil Michael would say, you know, uh, we, we worship God with intelligence. So everything worships God according to its own uh, intelligence. Yeah, and couldn't you say, too, that if you're, you know, like in Daniel, if they're surrounded by religions and cultures that worship the sun and the moon and nature and all that stuff to say, uh-uh, you don't worship the sun. The sun is a creation. The sun blesses the Lord. And so it's this kind of statement about the omnipotence of the one true God. Well, and this, Dennis, is precisely the meaning of Laudato Si Yay. and the World Day of Prayer for Creation. It's not. I am so smart. It's not about SMART. It's not about worshiping the sun. It's about praising God, Laudato Si, through the sun. And so all worship or all creation. Oh, and the sun, right? Yeah. Or and the SUN. Yeah, and the SUN. Yeah. So yeah, that's why you the, shouldn't be too uncomfortable about all this. The mystical body of Christ, I looked up in uh, Aquinas a long time ago, we think the mystical body of Christ means people, right? We're, we are Christ's body and we're worshiping, but Aquinas says it's all of creation because Christ took all of creation upon himself back to the Father. So actually stars are part of the mystical body of Christ and so are water creatures and all that stuff. So when you praise them, you're praising an attribute of Christ. This, you know, this creation came from the, the mind of God the Father through the, the logos, so the ordering principle of, of Christ. And so everything that is, in some way, reveals the glory of God uh, in creation, which is what Christ is, the glory of God, you know, combined with nature, human nature. You know, in um, as a Pope Benedict uh, letter, I think, Verbum Domini, uh, he s- quotes, I think, uh, St. Bonaventure says, every creature is a word of God because it resembles or echoes with the, with the Logos who made it. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- this, re- this was you were saying that it reminded me of um, my very first teaching gig was when I was uh, in graduate school at the University of Dallas in philosophy, and I taught next door at a Catholic school. Uh, so at night I'd study philosophy, and at day I would teach seventh grade girls. And tough, <laughs> tough ground. I bet they loved you. Oh, man. Well, they didn't love me this day because I think we were in some, I don't know, highfalutin abstract philosophical thing about uh, will there be dogs and cats in heaven because they don't have the immaterial and therefore immortal soul that a human being has. And so I suggested that uh, to this young girl that her dog wouldn't be in heaven with her because it lacked the mm, immaterial you and immortal soul. are a soul. meanie. Oh, yes. I went home but, crying and then the parents had to call you. Isn't that creation is exactly perfected right. in heaven, though? That, well, that's exactly where it went. After the principal called me into the office, he made that very point, Jesse, is that, you know, uh, all of these things, dogs, I suppose cats, 
uh, dolphins and uh, stars and these bees and other things like that are in some way a part of the cosmic uh, mystical body of Christ and that we're, we're expecting a new heavens and a new earth. So in some way, by, do, by God's divine uh, power, all of these things will be with us uh, in this new creation, in this new world uh, in heaven. Right. And I think um, Hans Urs von Balthasar wrote a book about this cosmic liturgy. It's about St. Maximus the Confessor. Um, and I've never read it, but I, I do remember like, poking through it here and there. And um, he talks that, about the universe being more than just this kind of m- minimum necessity we need uh, to survive, but that uh, even creation is coming into the divinization that we talk about for ourselves. So when the earth fell... I mean, or the earth fell when Adam and Eve fell. That nature was not hostile to us before that. And so the same process that humanity is going along in this pilgrimage toward the heavenly Jerusalem, that's also happening with all of creation itself. So they, because they're Christ, they have the Christological foundation, and Christ is renewing all of that. When you get to the book of Revelation, it doesn't just say there's a new heaven and you're in the club now, yay. What does it say? <laughs> new heaven and new earth. And new earth, right? So creation is not bad and we have to get rid of it because it's evil and we'll finally escape the earth the book of revelation says there's trees with leaves good for medicine and rivers and birds and paradise so paradise is always a garden just like adam and eve were in the garden and so creation comes to that um uh glorification as well with us and so it's proper to us to be in the world and then in the restored renewed world we think about that line from uh, St. Paul somewhere about all creation, creation was made subject to futility because of our fall. And they've been groaning and waiting the revelation of uh, the children of God. I think that's, um, you know, men and women are these, um, this expression is homo adorans. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we're, the, we're the priests of creation. You know, we've got one foot in the material world and one foot in the spiritual world. And so we're uniquely situated to mediate on behalf of all creation and so you know bees can give a certain degree to their voice their buzzing or whatever and so can so can flipper and orca and uh, all these other things (laughs) like that but it's 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 the job of uh, men and women uh, if I can be the first to use the word ontology in season four, Ooh. we are, we are Winner. You said on- the magic word. Let's define that word, somebody. <laughs> define the word ontology. Go ahead, Jesse. When something is what it is. Um, well, <laughs> is, kind of. The, the isness or the thisness. The isness. It's, yeah. it's the oh, thing according. It's that what it. It's the thing according to its nature or its essence. Right. It's the study of being. Properly speaking, it's the study of being. But then the logical next step is, okay, if it is, then what is it? So the Latin word is quiditas, the whatness. So as soon as you're studying the nature of a thing, then you kind of ask the question of what is it? So So it's, it's our whatness to give voice to all of creation who's been waiting for us to show up. They've been groaning and can't really put, Some of us more than others. <laughs> they can't really put, uh, they can't articulate uh, the worship of God as best they can until the children of God redeemed, sharing in the priesthood of Christ arrive. And especially in the liturgy, and this is where I think we should end this podcast, is especially in the liturgy, we give voice to their groanings and direct them to us and through us, through Christ the high priest, to the glory of God. Right. That's so, why so, this Laudato Si stuff matters. The bra- when it gets down to brass tacks, when you think about it, 
liturgy uses all of creation, right? If your church is made of wooden beams and marble floors and steel, these are all things that came out of the earth. And then, you know, if your vestment is silk, you know, silk comes from the back end of worms, right? I mean, it's sort of an odd thing <laughs> that God can use silk to make these lovely vestments. Gems are just rocks that are specially, you know, produced by the earth and the heat and pressure, and then we cut and polish them. And so all of creation, air, in, in breath and word, voice, ink, paper, leather, bronze, gold, silver, steel, stone, glass, like anything you can imagine is brought into the service of God. I remember a long time ago, and I think this may have come up in an earlier season, um, Dr. David Fagerberg asked, what's the liturgical end of a tree? Like the liturgical final to goal of a tree. To be made into a crucifix. To be made into a crucifix or a statue or a beam for a church, right? So the natural end of a tree is make more trees, drop acorns on the ground, whatever, use it for houses. But the liturgical end of everything, their highest call would be carve it into a statue, make it into a stained glass window. I mean, what's lead? It's a pile of dirt, you know, with some metal ore in it, but then you take it and make stained glass out of it. Uh, it's kind of an amazing thing. And in a sense, our nature, all of our gifts can be brought into that service of God too. And so even inanimate things that don't have free will can also be caught up in the mystical body and offered to the Father for glorification. Bingo. Bingo, bango. Yeah. They call him Flipper, Flipper. And, Do you know that song, Jesse? Uh, Faster than lightning. I know that there is a dolphin Nobody named Flipper, but, he but that's is about smarter it. smarter than he. Okay. Is he like the um, ocean version of Mr. Ed? Kind of, yeah. He was a little <laughs> dolphin that would talk, and he'd go, <laughs> yeah, and then they would, you know, they're like, what are you saying, boy? <laughs> oh, you mean Billy, E equals MC Billy, squared? Oh, Billy I knew that. Well? <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's, man. Uh, it's a uh, heartwarmingly naive, charming show from, I think, the 60s, but I haven't seen too much of it. But still, cosmic liturgy right there in Flipper, even Mr. Ed. Cosmic, cosmic liturgy, right there. Mr. Ed We're, and Flipper praise the Lord. Indeed, exactly. he does by being flippery. Worshiping nature, <laughs> worshiping nature doesn't mean worshiping the moon. It means the moon worships and we, the sun yo, worships and ooh, the bees worship and Flipper worships. All yeah. of this stuff worships God. Yep. And if you get in the way of it being what it is, then you're getting in the way of it's worshiping God. So care and respect for creation is not a far out hippie thing. It's actually a really good liturgical principle. All right. Well, uh, that was great, Chris. Thank you for bringing that. I think uh, I was very impressed with where that conversation even went. <laughs> I, didn't, I did not know where we were going at first. And yeah. surprised too, apparently, but Chris is a genius, you know? <laughs> he praises God with his created intellect. Yeah. Boy, I miss that beard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, should we answer a liturgy question, gentlemen? Oh, yes. All right. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? 
All right. So this question comes from Adam. Adam says, "Well over a year ago, I was blessed to have lunch with DMAC and asked this question. Ooh, maybe this is Father true. Adam Wilzak of Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, a Mundelein uh, graduate and a good friend. Oh, good. So he says, where does the tradition of a solemnity going longer than 24 hours come from. At the time, I was recently assigned to a parish that had a Sunday Mass at 7 p.m., and some people had asked me how the Mass on Saturday at 5 p.m. could fulfill their Sunday obligation, and we could do the same thing Sunday night. The logic used was, shouldn't one of the Masses either have to be for Saturday or Monday? Uh, Dennis said to email this question to Chris, and instead, we're answering it on the podcast. Well, that's a classic DMAC thing. Like, I don't know. Ask Chris. That is a classic DMAC thing. Yeah, I don't know. He's smarter than I am. So what? So what's the answer? Yeah. Uh, Chris? Uh, Ask Chris. Okay. Well, okay. So what's the question? How is it that you can have mass I just read the question. I know. know. So is it why can you have mass on Saturday night? Well, he wants to know why, yeah, why can you have a vigil the night before, but then have an evening mass on Sunday, because shouldn't that evening mass on Sunday be for Monday, because if we're going in this idea of vigil. The logic would be if the Sabbath starts at the sundown the day before, shouldn't it end at sundown the next day? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't entirely know the answer, but here's my uh, here's my stab at it. I do think, as you suggest, that the the practice comes uh, in part. There's roots connected to uh, the Jewish practice where the day began with sundown the previous day, so that's when day began. And so I think we're borrowing part of that from uh, that tradition. Uh, now, when it comes to a uh, Sunday or solemnity or a feast of the Lord that falls on Sunday in ordinary time. The, the norms for the, the calendar say that it begins with evening prayer one on the evening before and ends with, I guess, evening prayer two or probably night prayer that uh, other day. So it's kind of, I think the, the thing is, is this day is so important that it just won't fit into a 24-hour span. It needs more time. And so it uh, relies on this tradition of beginning earlier uh, to kind of uh, amplify the significance of the celebration and a Sunday or solemnity is more important than say the very next Monday. Now, if you had a Sunday in ordinary time and a Monday that was a solemnity. Oh, that was going to be my question. Oh man. Well, then that, then you would start the, uh, the Monday on Sunday night because it's higher in the table of liturgical days. So I guess all that rambling comes down to, uh, the celebration is so important it can't fit into 24 hours. There's some sort of precedent with the Jewish tradition of the day beginning on the night before. That's my take. What do you think, Dennis? I think you always give the right answer. So there you well. go. All right, Father, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us. And wait, can... wait, Father oh. Adam, I live in Kansas City area now. Come see me. Give me a call. Okay. Bye. You're done. Yeah, that's like the one other person that lives in that city. Is that true? Well, Kansas City is a big city. <laughs> I'm, living in, I'm living in Atchison, which is uh, ah, a little bit smaller. Got it. All right. If you want to ask us a question, uh, you could email Dennis, and then he'll just say email Chris, or you can email <laughs> us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you, and God bless. Now that's a podcast. The Liturgy Guys is brought to you by the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Find out more at benedictine.edu.